Well, good morning, River Ridge. Welcome to those who are here in the auditorium with us. Welcome to those that might be joining us online. We are so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, I trust that you all have already been encouraged through a time of worship. And now as we dive into God's Word, I, I pray that it would bring some comfort to those who need comfort. And I pray that it will bring challenge for those of us that may need to be challenged in order to take our next steps in our journey with God. And we're wrapping up this series, this summer series that we've been in through the parables of Jesus, these little stories that Jesus would use to teach these big truths about who we are, about who God is, what his nature is like, and what his kingdom is supposed to be about. And this morning, we will be in Matthew chapter 25, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or flip to it on your Bible app. And just so you know, the context of Matthew 25 is actually Matthew 24. Shocking as that might be, we learn what Matthew 25 is about based on what happens in Matthew 24. And in that chapter, the disciples go to Jesus and they ask him, what will the end of the world be like? So all of Matthew 24 is Jesus explaining and using these in, this end-time language about uh, antichrists and false prophets and wars and rumors of wars and famines and the abomination that causes desolation. And over and over again, as he's explaining what the end of times will look like, he keeps saying, but we don't know what the hour will be. Even I don't know the hour or the day when that will take place. In essence, saying, hey, the most important thing is not the date but that you are ready for when it comes. And then in Matthew 25, he gives these three parables back to back to back. And, and just a, a quick note, anytime that you see Jesus, or anytime Jesus explains something three times, it's kind of a, a, a code word for this is important. This is really important. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. Well, the first parable is the, the parable of the bridesmaids. And, and the, the bottom line for that is, don't miss the party. Surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus before it's too late. And if you've done that, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, then you'll be able to live out the next two parables much more easily. The second parable is about don't waste your life. Don't waste the opportunities and the talent that God has given you because Jesus is coming back and you will be held accountable for what you do with your one and only life. And then the third parable, the parable of the sheep and goats, is don't neglect the needy. If Jesus is your Lord, then what breaks his heart should also break your heart. And you should spend time and energy serving and loving the neediest around us. And he's giving these parables in order to give us, to be, for us to be able to zoom back and keep an eternal perspective as we live out our lives. And this morning, we're going to camp out on that second parable. Uh, it's, it's sometimes called the parable of the talents or, or the parable of the loan money. And as we get started, I want you to think about any kind of investment that you have made in your life. Because this parable is all about investing. Do, do you have a college fund? that you are trying to save to send your kids to college. Maybe you have a retirement account. Maybe you're trying to build equity in your house and trying to pay off your mortgage earlier. Or maybe you're trying to consolidate your debt and you're shopping as much as you can to try to find the best interest rate. If you have ever made any kind of investment, financial investment, that's the mindset that we need to bring to this parable, this mindset of, of diligently trying to manage our finances and to have a plan for the future. So we're going to kick off in Matthew 25, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. 
he called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. I think the first thing that we need to understand is that the master has given this money to his servants. He, he wasn't obligated to pay them. He wasn't obligated to give them anything. And I think that if we grab nothing else from this parable than this idea and we, this understanding that everything that we have in our lives is a gift from God. It, it is on loan from God. And if we would grapple with that, it would radically change the way that we view our lives, the way that we spend our lives. So the master calls these, these three trusted servants, and he gives each of them a different amount of money. And the Greek word for that bag of silver is the Greek word talenton. And we actually get our English word talent from that. It was the largest measurement of, of money during that time. Uh, scholar, biblical scholars today would say that, that in today's money, that's probably $600,000 per talent. So think about that. He, he gave $3 million to one guy, $1.2 million to one, and $600,000 to the last. So while they may have received differing amounts of money, they each had something of incredible value. And they knew that this wasn't just a gift from their master. They knew that he expected a return. They knew that they had a responsibility to manage and to invest this money the way that he would. So verse 16 says, that The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. The, the five-bag and the two-bag servants immediately went to work, and they began to invest their master's money. They knew that he wanted a, a return on his money, and so they were attentive. They, they were busy. They were diligent. They were looking at the kinds of investments that they had seen their master invest in over and over again, and they started investing his money. But the third took the $600,000, and he buried it, in a pit. And I, I would guess that, that the disciples chuckled when they heard that. Because who, who in their right mind would take $600,000 and just bury it? But this guy did nothing with it. He, he buried this immense wealth and then he just went on about his life. Verses 19 says, After a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and look, I have earned five more. So at some point, the, the servants knew that the master would be coming back and that there would be an accounting for what they did with his money, how his investments fared. He would be interested in that. And, and you know that the five bag servant. I mean, he, he was excited and eager for his master to come back home. He, he's the guy who, who gets the, the text early, and he gets first in line, and he's talking to, to the master, like, hey, how, how was your trip? Man, you, you look tan. Look, you lost some weight. Was that a good trip? Oh, oh, you, you want to talk about your money? <laughs> Just so you know, I earned another three million dollars for you. Here's six million dollars. And this is the master's response. He says, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount 
So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The, the servant passed the test. And because of his faithfulness, he was given this praise and he was given more responsibilities in his master's kingdom. But notice that the master's focus was on his obedience. It, it was on his faithfulness. The same thing happens with, with, with the two-talent servant. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. And the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Notice that the master gives the exact same praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant, even though the two-bag servant brought back much less money than the five-bag servant. I think it's important for us to know that, that in God's economy, he doesn't compare results. He, he compares faithfulness. God doesn't compare you, doesn't compare me to other people. He compares you to the you that he created you to be. And he wants to make sure that you live out the fullest potential of your life. Now, if this were a movie, this is where the soundtrack would, would suddenly change. Now we turn to the one-bag talent. It says, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops where you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid that I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. This is a, a parable about what a faith-filled life is meant to look like. And you have these two servants who lived this faith-filled, this faithful life towards the master, and then there was one who was fearful. And notice, he, he, didn't, he didn't steal the master's money. He, did, he didn't blow it on drugs or, or partying. He, he buried it. And he returned to his master exactly what the master had given him. But listen to, to, the, to the tone of how he viewed the master, the difference between how he viewed the master and how the other two did. He, he considered him harsh. He considered him unjust, that, that he would harvest where he didn't plant. And, and because of this distrust, because of, of this fear of retaliation or retribution from the master, he played it safe. And he buried the money in the field and returned it. And then notice the, the master's response in verse 26. He says, but the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops that I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And so he confronts this servant with, with his excuse. And he says, if that's really the way that you viewed me, if that's what you think is true of me, then the least that you could do was put my money in the bank and draw some interest on me, but, but you did nothing. Nothing. You, you just buried this immense amount of wealth, and then you acted like I didn't give you anything, and you just lived your life out. This is then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
this weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is an expression that, that would capture people who find themselves in a situation where they are filled with nothing but regret. That, that they realize that they had this opportunity, that they had this potential to make a difference, and they just wasted it. This servant was condemned not for what he had done, but for what he had not done. I think most of the time when we think of the word wickedness, we, we think of, of actions of some kind. But, but here we see that wickedness can just as easily be applied to inaction, to, to not investing your life as it does to the worst breaking of God's law. This is a, this is a sobering story. It, it's, a, it's a convicting story. So what are we supposed to do with this parable? How, what are we supposed to glean from it? And how are you supposed to apply it in our everyday lives? So if you're taking notes, there are three things that I think that we need to get from this and two things that I think that we can do starting today. The first is that we are to view our role as an investor of God's resources. Jesus is telling us that, that we are the servants in the story and we have a job to do. That, that God has entrusted every single believer with something of immense value. Our time, our talents, our abilities, our resources, the opportunities that God has given us. Everything we have in our lives is a gift from God and it's on loan from God. And just like the master, God expects a return on that investment. That, that he wants our lives to count that he wants us to use our lives and our time and our influence to make a difference in this world. And he's coming back. And, and we will each be held accountable for how we spent our lives for his kingdom. God views us the, the same way that, that, that we might view our money manager or our financial advisor. If we were to, to go to our financial advisor and give him money and say, here, I want you to invest this, and we come back at some point in the future and realize he never put it in the bank. He, he never put it to use. I, our response would be, we'd be frustrated. We'd be angry. We'd, we'd fire the guy on the spot and give it to someone else. It, it, this parable is almost like Jesus opening up our lives and saying, let's take a look at what your life is doing. How, how are you spending it? How are, are you investing it? I, I created you for a purpose. And I will return again to establish this eternal kingdom. And in the meantime, between when I created you and when I return, I've given you all of these incredible gifts, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide your life. I've given you the, the gift of the Word of God to understand who He is and how He's created you. I, I've given you time and opportunity and relationships. I've placed you in a church family. I, I've given you the gospel message of, of hope and peace. What we do with what we've been given really matters to God. We're called to invest it, invest our lives for the eternal kingdom, and there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day of judgment for Christians. We will each stand before Jesus, and the judgment won't be heaven or hell. Don't misunderstand that. The judgment that we will see before God will not be heaven and hell at that point. Our salvation was tied to the finished work of the cross, but rather we will be judged on the faithfulness of our lives. What do we do with these gifts that he has given us? And there will either be reward for us or there will be a loss of reward for us. 
this parable is meant to give us an eternal perspective and, and remind us that we only have so many hours to live. We only have so many dollars, so many relationships, so many opportunities, and we need to invest those resources in such a way that we would enjoy a good eternal return for this earthly life that we've been given. A second thing that we need to draw from this parable is a life of faith demands risk. The, the, the first two servants, again, they, they lived these lives of faith, and, and they had this desire to please their master so much, so, and they realized that it was the master's money that they were investing anyway. So they were willing to take a risk and to put the master's money to work. But the third servant, he, he surveyed the land, he surveyed the potential risk, and he said, no, it's too risky. And, and he was gripped with fear, so he just buried it. And he decided to chase after safety and security instead of by faith going out and taking a risk for his master. This parable teaches us that the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. And fear often paralyzes. It takes us to this place of inaction because we don't want to take any risks. A life of faith and faithfulness is this open-handed way of living where we understand that everything in our lives has been given to us and so we freely a life of faith freely invest those resources into his kingdom and because of the potential of what could be gained for god's kingdom a faithful believer takes chances they they, they step into the unknown they, they step into the the uncomfortable and they'll step out of their comfort zone but fear on the other hand instead of focusing on what could be gained Fear focuses on what could be lost. Fear doesn't like the feeling of, of losing control. Fear asks the question, well, what happens if I fail? What, what happens if I lose everything and I end up with nothing? And what ends up happening when we are, are driven by fear, we begin to believe and to live like the stuff in our lives is our stuff. And we start closing our hands around the resources that we have in our lives and we conclude that, that maybe it's a better idea to just cling to what I have to play it safe and to hold tightly to my stuff my money my time my life and Jesus says that's wicked that's sinful that's not what I have left you to do and I, and I tell you for me that's a hard one that, that's convicting for me because those that know me know my personality and, and my tendency is to think and overthink and analyze and, and assess risk and minimize risk as much as possible and I the fault of mine is I, I can almost plan the faith out of something and now there is a place for wisdom there's a place for, for discernment but sometimes I know in my life that those can be cover-ups those can be justifications for fear and not taking a risk for the kingdom of God the Christian life is a call to risk it's a call any any time that we are called to a life of faithfulness and obedience risk will be demanded risking is dangerous but not risking for God is more dangerous is what the parable is telling us so so what are some of the risks that, that God may be calling you to do right now in the face of fear, in the face of discomfort, in the face of, of unknown. Maybe it's a new ministry that he's put on your heart. But, but you are questioning it yourself. Like, do, do I have what it takes to be able to do that? 
Maybe it's pursuing adoption for foster care. But again, there's just this uncertainty about, do, can we do that? How does that change the dynamics of our family? Maybe it's a, a career change. And you've gotten to a place in your career where, where you're, comp you're competent and you're, you're comfortable where you are, but you feel like God may be nudging you in a different direction. Maybe it's forgiving someone, taking that risk and actually forgiving them because in your mind you're wondering, well, what if they do it again? What if they hurt me worse? Maybe it's sharing your faith with a family member or a friend, but you're not really sure how that will change the relationship if you do it. Maybe it's being obedient to God with your finances. But in your mind, you're wondering, well, if I give God my first and my best, will I have enough at the end of the month to make it? A faithful and obedient life always involves risks. That means that we have to guard our hearts against fear gripping and controlling our lives. But there's also another obstacle to a life of faith that I think this parable teaches us. And that is comparison is a very common obstacle to faithfulness. I find it interesting that the third servant was so distrustful and resentful toward his master. That there's nothing in the parable that, that would allow us to conclude that or to believe that the master was unfair or unjust. And in fact, the first two servants were excited to see him. That they were eager for him to come back and to catch up with him. So why did the third servant distrust his master so much? We're not told exactly, but I, I don't have to look too hard to find a possible reason. I wonder if it's not that, that he, compare, he compared his one bag to the two bags and the five bags that the other guys got, and it hurt his pride. And it led him to burying his talent and, and to think, that's not fair. I mean, what, what's the use? Why, why am I the one when, when you obviously like them more? The reason I wonder that is that I, I can see... In my own heart, what happens when I look and see more talented servants around me? I can look around and see people that are smarter than me, more disciplined than me, more effective teachers than I am, more, more competent and competent leaders than I am. And I can get into a place where I question why God didn't give me more. And I can get to a place where I begin to minimize what the talent is or the ability that he may have given me and wonder what... I mean, really, what, what kind of impact can I have with just my one little life? And that's a talent-bearing mentality that Jesus condemns. And it's all fueled by pride, by wounded pride. And if you think about it, even self-pity is a form of pride because what I end up doing is I put myself in the center of my universe. And when I do that, gone is my love for the Lord. Gone is my love for people. Gone is the wonder of the immensity of God's grace in my life. Gone is the gratitude that, that he has entrusted me with anything because it's all about me. And when I compare my life to someone else's, I will come up on the short end and it's a lose-lose situ situation every single time. And we end up losing sight. We take our eyes off of the purpose and the plan that God has for our lives. But instead, we need to learn how to trust in the master's goodness. Trust in the goodness of our good father. God is not unfair in how he meets out and how he hands out resources and opportunities to believers. He is infinitely wiser than we are. 
And he knows the certain talents that certain people need at certain times in history in order to advance his kingdom the most. And oftentimes we don't understand his plans and his purposes on how he does, but we have to trust in his goodness and know that he does have a good plan. So we need to make sure that we understand that our role is that of an investor. We need to understand that faith equals risk. And we need to guard our hearts against self-pity or pride that comes when we compare ourselves to others. And then let me give us two real quick applications on, on, on how we can start applying this to our lives. So here are two things that we need to do. The first is to take an inventory. What has God entrusted to me? This is a powerful question for us to really wrestle with this week. And I would, I would challenge all of us to actually take pencil to paper and write it out. The gift of time. Every one of us is given the gift of 24 hours. And every day has an opportunity at some point or multiple opportunities throughout it for us to inch the kingdom of God forward. What, about, what are the talents or the abilities that you have? Maybe you're good with your hands. Maybe you're good at organizing things or you're good at artistic things or, or you're good at leading worship or you're good with people. You're good with teaching others. You're good at encouraging people. You're a good listener and, and, and for some reason people gravitate towards you and you're able to share some of the burdens of the day. List out some of those talents and gifts that God has given you. And then look at your resources. Your house your car, your job. And, and a job is not just a place where we go to make money, but, but the way in which we perform our job can make God look good. And it can open up doors of influence with, with our coworkers. The financial resources that God has placed in your life, the, the relationships and the influence that God has put in your life. Make a list this week. Everything, again, everything that we have, every good and perfect gift that we have in our lives is a gift from our good father and it's entrusted to us for a purpose but here's the thing and if we don't do this step if we just glance about it like yeah yeah no i'm blessed i'm blessed i understand that if we don't ever stop and actually take an inventory then i think that we'll gloss over the fact that everything in our lives is a gift from god that can be used that can be leveraged for his good purposes, to make a difference in this world, to make an impact with our one and only lives. And the second thing that we need to do is to check your scoreboard. How am I investing what I have for the kingdom? How, how am I currently doing in seeing and investing these things uh, in my life? And, and this is not meant to be a drive-by guilting. Guilt does not motivate us for very long. But, but what this is meant to be is how can I be faithful and obedient day after day with the opportunities that God has given me to invest them for him? How can I take on this attitude of truly being open-handed with all that God has given me, with the time and the talent and the treasure, and to regularly ask the question, God, what do you want me to do with your resources? These are not mine. What do you want me to do with the time that you have given me, with the money that you have given me, with the talents that you have given me? And if we'll start doing that, we will be amazed at how we begin to see the opportunities that God daily puts in front of us, these opportunities 
to make an impact, to influence others for the kingdom, and to one day be able to hear the phrase I think that we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me pray for us. Father, this is, um, this is a, a challenging word, a, a challenging parable. Um, it challenges us to, to make sure that we keep an eternal perspective, that we don't get wrapped up just in our little world, but to understand that you have given us our lives for a reason. And God, we do not want to get to the end of our lives and have them filled with regret. Help us to not waste our lives, but to see that we are called to make a difference for you. And help us to see what it is that you have truly given us, to take the time to, to understand all that you have given us, these things of immense value to you, and help us to find the ways to invest it. Help us to push through fear that can often keep us in our comfort zone. And help us to take risks for you so that the message of your goodness and your grace and the hope that's only found in Jesus can impact the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, before you go, thanks for joining us this week at River Ridge Online. I'm Jason, and I'll be leading the online community here at River Ridge Church. I wanted to take just a quick minute to encourage you and let you know that we are so glad that you've joined us today. If you've got any questions about River Ridge Online or you're looking for ways to connect and grow in your faith, I want to support you in that. We know that we have online viewers from many different places, and I want to welcome folks from wherever you're watching from. At River Ridge Church, we're all about helping you take next steps in your journey with God, and we love connecting with those who attend in person at our campus and online. So here's an easy first step that you can take right now. Would you do me a favor and call this Google Voice number at the bottom of the screen and simply leave a message and tell me where you're watching from? You can do it right now. Let me know your name, where you're watching from, and how I can be praying for you. Go ahead, it's really easy. And again, all you've got to do is leave a message. Nobody's going to pick up the phone. You can also email me directly at jasonhager at riverridge.org. And honestly, I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to be praying for you. Another easy next step is to simply head over to our Facebook page and like our page there. It's a great resource to plug into what's happening around River Ridge Church. Thanks again for tuning in to River Ridge Online, and I'll see you right here next week.